0: Thank you for joining us here at the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. In case we haven't met, I'm Jason Hitchings, and I'm the men's and sports director here at Rolling Hills. Today, we are continuing our series, Masterclass. Jesus invites each and every one of us into his journey, no matter who we are or what we've done. Even though we are sinners, he calls us to become servants and leaders like him. Now let's dive into chapter two of the Gospel of Mark. We're glad you're here.
1: Good morning again. Uh I don't know who that dude was up here that was shedding tears earlier, but he's, he's going to make dry those eyes a little bit. Uh, we're super, I mean, I just, I, I can't tell you how excited I am. I don't, I don't know that I really need to preach. That, that was enough. That This is what we're here for. Uh, that's what we get to do. But I am going to preach. Don't. that. that, that. <laughs> I mean, really, I'm not going to pass up the opportunity, right? If, you, uh, if, if you're new or maybe you've kind of been checking us out, we're super glad that you're here. Uh, we started last week a new series called Masterclass, where we're going to be working through the book of Mark over the next 16 weeks. That'll take us through the summer right into the beginning of uh, August, and uh, every week kind of looking at a new chapter in Mark and ta- talking about what's, what we see there and, and, and some of the, the details of Mark's... Uh, gospel and the way that we, what we can learn about following Jesus from Jesus, the life of Jesus and how, how his disciples followed him and so forth. And so last week in Mark chapter one, it was really an, an introduction uh, to who Jesus is and an invitation of uh, from Jesus to follow him and, and that invitation to, to walk with him and to, to live life with him that he gave to the disciples and to uh, those that were around him there. And as we turn to Mark chapter two this morning, what I really kind of this session of masterclass is really about all. If you have your worship guide there and you want to follow along and filling in those, that the master, that masterclass all is what we're talking about. And all that word of just amazement and, and, and being amazed by, or being astonished by God, because as we'll see in the passage in just a minute, and again, you can fill this out in your worship guide as, as the spaces are provided there. It says that Jesus is the mighty Messiah, the son of God, amazing everyone with his with his display of authority and power So as Jesus moves through, we said this last week, one of the things, the pictures that Mark kind of gives us as a portrait of Jesus is that he is the mighty Messiah, the son of God that amazes people as he travels, as he ministers and moves through the Galilean countryside and every place that he goes, they're amazed by his display of authority and power. And so this week we kind of want to hone in on one of those spots in Mark chapter two. We're not going to read all 12 verses. We're going to work through them, Uh, but I I did want to start by reading Mark chapter two verses 10 and 12. And I don't do this very often, but it's just a reminder of something that, uh, that I think we just need to be reminded of sometime. I'm going to invite you to stand just in honor of God's word and to be reminded that this is our authority. It's his word. That's our authority. And and we are, we come to put ourselves under that. And so, uh, just thank you for standing. And this is the word of the Lord. It says beginning in Mark chapter two, verse 10 and through 12, it says, but I want you to know, this is Jesus speaking, but I want you to know, or that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, this is the paralyzed man that we'll talk about in just a minute. I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. And to the man that Jesus spoke to, he said, he got up, he took up his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you did come and you walked on the same earth that we walk on and you amazed people with your display of authority and power. And Father, this morning, as we open up your word that you've given to us, we submit to it. We recognize that it is our authority. We are not an authority over it. We come to learn from you. And Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are open to your message this morning, that you would be glorified and honored in all things. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So again, in verse 12, what it says is that they were amazed. Yeah, y'all can sit down. I have, I have hope. <laughs> y'all don't have to stand up the rest of the time. They were amazed, that people were amazed at what Jesus did and that, that, it, that his authority and power and, you know, thinking about what happens there, they, people were like, we've never seen anything like this. They were astounded. And, and I would have to say as one of the, and, and, and just the, the place that I live in and the, the time that I lived in, one of the most overused and undervalued words in the English language is the word amazing. I used to work in college ministry, and for a long time I did. I ran a camp where I had college students that worked with me. And for a time in this camping ministry, I would say surrounded by these college students that there was probably all summer long, not a three minute stretch of time where I did not hear something described as amazing. This was amazing food. It's amazing that we get to do this. That's amazing. Everything was amazing, right? And and I like, this is not truly, this is not the grumblings of an old man. I, in research, I found others that feel this way. Specifically, a a young lady that works for the New York Daily News. Her name is Jeanette Summerbury. And she wrote this article entitled Why Celebrities and Millennials. I didn't say that, she did. Why Celebrities and Millennials should stop using the word amazing. And in this, it validates my stance, but it also is a much stronger argument and more in, intel, intelligent argument than I can ever have put together. I know that you're not surprised, but here's what she says. He says, the word amazing simply fails to amaze anymore. And it's high time for someone to put a halt on, on the most overused adjective in the English language. We hear it all day long. This salad is amazing. Your eyebrows look amazing. I didn't say that for sure. This lighting for this selfie is amazing. Didn't say that for sure. It's not, her words, shut up. Again, I didn't say that. Parents don't get mad at me. By definition, the word means overwhelming surprise or astonishment. But it's it's overused and it's become the it word when really what we mean is that something is great or cool or even just fine. Later on in the search this week, to validate, to further validate, I found a YouTube tutorial called Stop Using the Word Amazing. Stop overusing the word amazing. Learn 15 smart English words to replace it. If you receive an email this week with a link to that video, I have judged you as one who makes this offense. (laughs) And it's a pretty good video. But Mark doesn't throw this word around haphazardly. When he says that they were amazed, what, what he's telling us is that in his gospel, he tells us over and over that people, when they come in contact with Jesus, that they're amazed at what they see, they're in awe of what they've heard and experienced. And truly in the, in the Greek, this word is exestemi, right? And what it means is to be so taken with, to be so taken with something that you notice nothing else, that you are astonished, that you're beside yourself. And so that's what we wanna talk about. in my prayer this morning is is, is very simple, that as we work through Mark chapter two, that our hearts and our minds would be captured and wrapped up in all that we would be amazed by Jesus, because truly to be amazed by him is the only right response when we encounter him. And so it begins, From this passage, at the amazing faith of four friends. The amazing faith of four friends. And to really understand the amazing faith of these four friends, I think we've got to understand what's happening in the scene in this passage. And so we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says this, that a few days later, Jesus again entered Capernaum. And the people heard that he'd come home. And they gathered in in such large numbers that there was no room left not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So Christ returns to Capernaum. He's, he had a quick start to his ministry in Galilee, and now he's, he's come back to Capernaum, and there's these great crowds that gather in the house where he's at, so much so that there's no room for anyone else, and he's preaching the word. And, and so he's preaching what he's, he takes the opportunity as this great cl- crowd gathers to proclaim the good news or to proclaim the kingdom of God in kind of the same way if you go back to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where it says this, that after John was in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, that the time had come, the kingdom of God had come near to repent and believe the good news. So the same thing that Jesus is proclaiming in Galilee, he comes to Capernaum in the place where he's been before and he's proclaiming this good news to the people there in this house that's full of people. And what he's saying is that the rule of God The kingdom of God is the rule of God, the reign of God over the hearts and the lives of men and women is being established by the very person who is preaching, who's proclaiming it to you. That his kingdom is near. The house is crowded as he's preaching this, but there's four friends that that have decided that their best friend, one of their buddies who's paralyzed has got to get to this house to be in front of Jesus. It says in verse three, it says, some of the men bring to him, bring to Jesus, a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get into the house where Jesus was, was because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And they lowered him on a mat that he was lying on. I love the common, I love the fact that there's not a lot of commentary that what, that that Mark gives us right here. If I'm writing this, I'm letting you know all the details of who's there and how people are responding, especially the people who own the house. I don't know. That maybe is an interesting response or commentary of what's going on in their minds, what they're saying about a hole that's being dug in their roof. But, that, but it doesn't. Mark doesn't tell us the details of what's going on here. But here's what we do know is that there's four friends that have taken up the cause of getting their friend in front of Christ. They've heard and they believe that something is significant about this Jesus, that something significant about the message and his work and the healings that he's performed already, and it's caught their attention and they're going. Nothing's going to stop them to make sure that they get into this house and put their friend in front of Jesus. What I think is pretty awesome is this contrast that's there between these two main audiences that Jesus is speaking to or that Jesus kind of has dialogue with here. The first is these four guys, these four, these four friends, this ragtag group of friends that, that these buddies that are running down the road, they're late to the party and, and they know they're late. They have to know, right? If you just kind of picture the scene, they have to know that they're late. They have to know that the house is already crowded, that they're not going to get a place to sit down in there. And you know that there's one among the four who's really angry about it. That friend that's always on time and they know that this other friend is always not on time and they're giving them the business, right? They're like, hey, what, why are we, it's because of you that we're late. I mean, what is it that you had to do? Is it, you know, maybe you had to comb your beard. Is it you had to clean your sandals? What is it? We're aggravated. He's telling them all that he's giving them all the business, right? And they, they get there late and there's no room. There's no room to get in. And they're frustrated because they didn't get a seat. And then there's the one friend who obvious, who's not bound by, by, by conventional wisdom, right? That this person sees the opportunity where others, sees, where others see the obstacles. And he says, I've got an idea. So he leads them to the roof. And he says, just, just trust me. And so he starts digging in the mud or whatever, it's keeping the elements out of the house. And he takes back that mud and they lower their friend in front of Christ that they wanted him to be in front of. They knew that this was the one thing that they needed to do. And you know that there are people in this crowd, there are people in this house that know these four guys. They're not surprised by the one who dug the house. They're also not surprised that they're late because the other buddy that's there, they're not surprised that one of them's mad because they're not surprised. They probably know the paralyzed guy. There's, there's gotta be people in this full house who know who these guys are, right? I can imagine that one of their parents, one of the parents of, this, of these guys who are digging through the roof are sitting there and they're, they're just dumbfounded that their son is digging through the roof, right? Can you imagine like, I'm so sorry, my son is an idiot. I don't know why he's doing this, right? And like that, I feel like that's what my parents would be saying in that moment. And then there's the Pharisees that are the other main audience that Jesus speaks to in the room. And it says that the Pharisees are there in in the same story in Luke's account of the gospel. It says in verse 17, chapter five of Luke, verse 17, it says, one day Jesus is teaching and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They were sitting there. they had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was on Jesus to heal the sick. So you go to a different, a, a different narrative of Jesus' uh, life as Luke kind of records, and, and he gives us a little more detail, and it feels like Luke is making a very a point for us. He kinda, he, I, when I read it, and again, I didn't read it from the Greek, so I, maybe I'm putting emphasis on the wrong syllable, I don't know, but the, that was funny and you didn't. <laughs> but, but he, he kind of makes this point that they're sitting there, while these, these friends are, are running down the road and they're ragtag and they're all disheveled and are digging through a hole in the roof, there's the Pharisees who are sitting there. They came from all over Galilee and Judea, but they got there on time and they're sitting there. It almost sounds pompous. Right? It sounds like these guys are are judging everything that's happening. Now I'm reading into that maybe to some extent, but there's a there's these guys are there, they got there on time, and and they're they're there because there's a stir about this Jesus. There's a stir about who he is, and they're there to check things out because they know that something's up, and they just want to see, and that's why I feel like they're just upright and they're just sitting there, judging what's happening. Jesus It says in verse five, that when Jesus saw their faith, looking up at these four friends on the roof, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. The four friends that dragged their buddy down the road and dropped him through the ceiling in the middle of the service, they tore a hole in the roof. Jesus is obviously interrupted and, and these friends are looking through the hole in the roof and hoping that you know everything goes right. And when Jesus looks at, it, distracted by them, their disheveled appearance, their tardiness, all of those things aside, what he sees is a beautiful faith. A faith that's amazing that they would do whatever it takes to get their friend to be in front of Jesus, to be in front of him. And you think about the story and these, the two audiences that are there, the, the ones that really have amazing faith are not these four disheveled, crazy people on the roof. It's really, the, it should be the Pharisees, right? I mean, in, in this time, we, I mean, we kind of look at the Bible when we read the Pharisees, we read into it the fact that the Pharisees are always at the, at the core of the problems that Jesus is having. But for the people that are there in this, in this full room, the Pharisees are the good guys. Those are the guys who have the faith it's not these four on the roof. It's the guys that are sitting there, sitting there that made it on time. Those are the guys that have the faith, but that's not the ones that Jesus talks to. It's the ones that are on the roof. And says their faith, he sees their faith and he turns to the paralyzed man. and He says, their sins are forgiven. And we'll get to the reaction that's caused, the commotion that kind of ensues as a result of what Jesus says. But the reality is that this faith of these four men is amazing. No crowd, no obstacle could get them in the way or get in the way of them bringing their friend physically broken to be in front of Jesus. The question that, that I kind of just comes as we think about this passage and comes to us as we think about what here, and the question I want to ask to you is who carried you? You know, like for all of us at some level, somebody carried us and maybe not physically to church, but somebody carried us to a youth group function. Somebody carried us to a camp. They carried us to church on Sunday. They carried us in their prayers. They carried us in their invitations to say, I want to bring you, I want you to know this Jesus that I know. I want you to know, and maybe they didn't say it in that way, but they did whatever it took to get you to a place where you could hear the gospel. For some of you, it's your parents. For some of you, maybe it was your friends, but they did whatever it took to carry you. Who carried? you maybe it's something that is a reminder to maybe thank those people who carried you carried you in their prayers to call them and say hey thank you for thank you for caring enough to make sure that I heard about this Jesus the second question is who are you carrying these four friends they, they knew that this that the only hope for their buddy was bringing them bringing him to Jesus and so who, who are we carrying? Who is it that we're praying for? Who is it that we're, we're asking God to, to move? Who are we inviting? As a staff, we have a list of, 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 of a couple of people per staff member that we're praying for and asking God to move in their hearts and, and bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And I can tell you that in this room, maybe not this morning because I haven't looked around too closely. Detailed, but in this room on a regular basis are people whom our staff is praying for that have come and they're hearing the gospel and we're seeing their lives transformed because people are praying for them. So who are you praying for? Who are you carrying? And for some of you, you don't even know it, but there's people that are carrying you right now. And all that the person who's carrying and, and asking God to open in your heart is that you hear this message that your sins can be forgiven that what's broken in your life can be healed by the Savior that they want to carry you to. The message that they'd long for you to hear is the message that this man heard in that morning, is that your sins are forgiven. And it brings us to our next point that there's an amazing healing that happens here, the amazing healing of a mighty Savior it says that Christ is preaching about the kingdom of God and now he's gonna display the, or demonstrate, he's gonna put on display outwardly what this kingdom of God looks like. And the kingdom that Christ is proclaiming is simply that the gospel or the gospel that he's preaching, the gospel that, w- that we preach and that we sing about on a regular basis is the same that Jesus is proclaiming, that we, what we hold high is this simple fact that the God the creator that a relationship, that life with God the Creator, is available to a rebellious creation, that a relationship with God that, had, that Adam and Eve destroy, were, that was destroyed because of Adam and Eve's rebellion and in Genesis chapters one through three, or that what they experienced, this perfect relationship, was destroyed because of their rebellion, and because of their rebellion, our relationship with Him was destroyed. in that moment where they ate the fruit that God had told them not to eat. And it was more, listen, it was more than just eating an apple, which I feel like sometimes we just think about, we're like, that's a little lame that Jesus is like, or God's like, oh, don't eat apples. That's not what he did. But ultimately what they did in that moment was they said, God, we don't need you. We know better than you. We know what it means to live life. And we don't need you as the creator to tell us anymore. It was the creation saying to the creator, we've got it figured out. We don't need you anymore. And so this man that they laid in front of their, in front of Jesus with a body that was broken by paralysis, what they wanted was for him to walk again. Maybe they had seen Jesus heal somebody else and they believed that this, that their buddy could, his legs could be healed and he could walk again. But it was what Jesus looked was something much deeper than his legs. He was looking at his heart. He was looking beyond the outward manifestation of a problem to what was inwardly the real issue. This afternoon, if just to, to paint a, a picture for us this afternoon, as, as I go home, if, if you can walk with me into the front and our front door. And as I'm walking up there, there's some flower beds that don't have many flowers in them right now. But if you walk, if I walk by that and I see in, in our flower bed, there uh, some weeds that have grown over the past little while. What I'm going to do is keep walking because I don't like to pull weeds. But let's just say I have an out-of-body experience and what happens is I stop for a moment and I lean down and I pull those blades of grass or those weeds out of that flower bed. Have I really done anything? For those of you who are actually gardeners or do flowers, no, I haven't. I've made it momentarily not look like they're weeds, but I didn't do anything to the root. Like what I'm gonna have to do is spend some time on my knees, in the heat, doing what I hate doing, and getting to the actual problem, the root. And Jesus, when, he hit, when he's here with, these, with this man that's been dropped in front of him on the, from, the, from the roof, he's looking at this cause and what, what, he, what he sees is something far more than his outward struggle, the outward manifestation of a problem. He sees his heart is the real issue. Matthew Henry, a commentator long ago wrote these words. He says, Christ in forgiving sin and the sin here is telling the story of why sickness and death are here in the first place. That sin is the root cause of all of our brokenness and all of our pain and all of our sorrow. Now, I want to pause here and I want you to hear me say this because I'm not saying that this sorrow and the brokenness of this man's legs is a result of his sin. Now, many in the room there that day would have thought that that was the reason, that it was his sin or his parents' sin that caused this. But I don't think Jesus is telling us this. I'm saying Jesus is going back farther and saying, paralysis, cancer, sorrow, broken relationships, all of those things are a result of sin. That at the root of the problem, the, what, what's have, this is the fruit of the problem, but the root of the problem is not just this outward thing, it's the fact that sin exists. That we live in a world where we've rebelled and we've said, God, I can do it better. And what Jesus does in this moment is he puts on display outwardly what the kingdom of God looks like when he restores what is broken. Jesus, looks at the fr- Jesus is not going to look and focus on the fruit of the brokenness, but rather on the root of the brokenness. And so Christ, as the, as the physician, the great physician, knew exactly why these guys wanted to, wanted to bring their buddy to him that day. But Jesus is not going to do what a bad, what, he, what he's going to do is what a good doctor would do. And not just address the problem that he sees on the outside, he's going to address the problem that he sees on the inside. That man did leave that day walking out of that room with a mat in his hand, a man who was paralyzed from, we don't know from how long back, but a man that was paralyzed walked out of that room with his mat in his hand. But that man's not walking around today with a mat in his hand. And I want you to hear me say that because that that man, feeble as he was on that day when he walked in or when he was dropped in, walked out of that room. But some days, some years later, they laid him down to rest. He died just like all of us will. And what Jesus knew is that the problem wasn't just that his feet didn't work, is that his heart didn't work. And he left there. The the amazing healing that happened on that day was not just that he walked, is that his heart was restored that his heart was restored, that he was, he was renewed, that his sins were forgiven. And it caused, it caused quite an, a, a commotion for the people that were there in that moment, the people that were herded, especially for the Pharisees. In verse six, we go back to that. It says, now the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. Now they're just thinking inside, like they're not saying this out loud. They're thinking to themselves. They said, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, it's one of Mark's favorite words, immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or get up and take, take up your mat and walk. But so that you know, that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to him, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. There's probably four sermons that are inside of those couple of verses, but I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna get distracted. I wanna help us wrap up this one, this point and move on. Christ exposes in this man and for us our greatest need. It's so easy for us to be taken with our circumstances. It's so easy to blame everyone or everything on the reasons why we're having a hard time. It's so easy for us to say, the reason things are broken is all of these things. If I can just fix those things, then everything will be great. When Christ is saying, no, the biggest problem is not outside, it's inside. The biggest problem is not outside of you, it's inside of you. It's not your circumstances, it's me. It's not my circumstances. It's me. It's not your circumstances. It's you. It's my sin. It's your sin. It's your rebellion. It's my rebellion that's caused this brokenness. And what Christ does and the healing that happens in that moment that's so amazing is that a healed heart and made, he's made new in the celebration that we have this morning of life that comes from life. That yes, there was breath in his lungs, but there was no life there. And this life comes because Jesus gives forgiveness of sin. And it wasn't because this man had anything to offer. The way that, the way that this forgiveness would happen, according to the Pharisees, that, that he would go and offer a sacrifice and because of the sacrifice, he could have his sins forgiven. This man couldn't get to the temple to offer the sacrifice. He couldn't bring it on his own. There was nothing he had to offer, nothing that could make God, make Jesus say, yes, I want you to be, I want you to whole. There was nothing that he said, hey, I'll give you some, some cash. Man, he had nothing but out of grace, Jesus records, or Jesus makes him new. Jesus forgives his sin and he looks at this man and he calls him son, which is just another one of those small details that we pick up on that says, God's restoring a relationship that was broken. So this morning, the, the invitation again is, is that leads us to is that hopefully what it does is it blows our minds, this amazing grace, this healing, this amazing healing and amazing grace that Jesus forgives sinners, that he restores relationship, that he calls us sons and daughters. What I hope that it does is it that, that it truly blows our minds, that it never ceases to amaze us, that he calls us sons and daughters, that it it stirs inside of us this deep and joyful awe of who he is for those who have trusted Christ and what it stirs in those who maybe have not put their faith in Christ is a deep and joyful need to find a relationship with the one who's declaring that he can forgive, forgive and restore what was broken. The awe of the amazing healing leads us to an amazing calling for you and I. An amazing calling for you and I. It's a call to praise and to proclaim. The call is to praise and to proclaim. And I Honestly, as I think about this. Just to look at verse 12 again, it says that he got up. The man got up, he took up his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. And they were amazed. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. They left the house full of amazement. They all left the house full of amazement, astonished at this guy, this Jesus, the son of God. And they realized that there's, this is no ordinary fella. We've never seen anything like this. They, they'd never seen any of the Pharisees teach like this. They'd never seen any of the Pharisees do the things that Jesus had done. It amazed them. They're, they're, awed they're um, they're overwhelmed astonished you can imagine that as they leave there's nothing else that they can really focus on nothing else is what we said that the word amazing means so beside themselves that really nothing else comes into view and I, I don't want to cheapen this, this passage. I don't want to cheapen this message by saying, this is what I want, our services, what we desire, our services, our gatherings here on Sunday morning to look like. But, but it's the truth. What I desire, what I hope, what I hope happens is that week in and week out, we leave with this same amazement that these, at the, these people left with that morning that we leave with the same amazement that we are, I pray that we're, as we magnify, as we celebrate and worship the greatness of God through, the, through Jesus Christ and the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that through God's word being preached and the songs that we sing, that week after week, we experience the awe of Jesus that stirs us to praise him. It stirs us to praise him for all that he is and all that he's done. And not only do we experience that awe of that stirs us to praise him, but that we experience the awe and that amazement that sends us to proclaim him and his gospel and all that he is and all that he's done and all that challenges us, that sends us to be fed up with our friends and our families not knowing Christ. The challenges to see past obstacles and see opportunities to introduce our neighbors and our coworkers and, and, and our and our friends and and the, the people that we sit on the sidelines at our kids' baseball games and and, and and softball games and hockey games and whatever else we go to. That we're not we don't give up when there's obstacles, but we know that there's no other hope for these friends, these people that we know than to bring them in front of Jesus where they can find the healing that their hearts truly long for. So I wanna leave us with just one, two questions this morning. Something for us to think about this week as we continue to read through Mark. If you haven't picked up our on a... On the way out, I don't have a copy of On the way out, we have a reading guide that goes through, that's walking through the book of Mark. So next week, we'll start chapter three. And all week long, we read through chapter three. So when you come in here next week, and we open up chapter three, you've already read it. You have the sermon prepared. So if I go down, you can come back up. So as we just walk through this week, will you join us in those things? The question for us is that are you... Are you, do you find yourself in a place where you are awed, where your heart is stirred in awe of him, where you praise him because of it? Where daily you're, you're moving and, and through the songs that we sing here and, and your quiet times and reading God's word that, that you find yourself in awe of all that Christ has done so much so that it stirs in you to praise him Do you find yourself, secondly, in awe so much so that it sends us to proclaim that gospel, to proclaim the truth that he has come to restore the relationship that was broken by our sin. And that he's the only hope that we have. Now, listen, I don't say this as somebody who's really good at being out and, and, and just diving into those conversations with friends. I had a friend, I had a conversation this week with a buddy that that intentionally I had to move in that conversation from, from just surface level into I know I need to talk to this guy about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And it was hard. But it was worth it. And I don't believe that any of us, there may be a handful of y'all that you just love having that conversation. It just flows right out of you. That's awesome. I'd love to learn from you. But right now, I think most of us struggle with it. But it begins, it begins by being awed, by by finding that amazement, understanding how amazing his grace is and being amazed by him so much that it stirs us to praise him. And then it sends us to proclaim him. I'm gonna invite the, uh, the band to come back up and we're just gonna close. With just a, a song, just to, a time for us to respond. To have just a, a time for you guys not to, we're not gonna take the offering right now. We're gonna sing and we're gonna ask God just to move and to maybe stir in our hearts. To remind us, for some of you, it's to, to bring back that moment where God healed you. Maybe that that reminder that he has healed you and made you new. And so when bring back that he's, he amazes you by his grace and it stirs in your heart to proclaim, to, to praise him. And then maybe for some of us, it's not, realizing as that stir in our hearts, not only stirs to praise him, but to proclaim him and to share and who that person is that, He's called us to do the same thing that these four friends did, to have that amazing faith that carries them, no matter what the obstacle, to be in front of Jesus. We'll pray and we'll um, continue to worship through song. Jesus, we do pray, we thank you for We thank you that God, as we come to you, you know that we are in desperate need of you. Sometimes we don't know it, but we know that you know it. And I pray that God, even in this moment, that you would stir in our hearts, that you would, you would move in our hearts so much that, that we would be reminded of what you've done and it would cause us to praise you. And that God, as we wrap up this morning, that it would send us that amazement of who you are. We've never seen anything like this would send us to proclaim the good news. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for checking out our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this sermon, make sure to share it with loved ones and subscribe so you can tune in each time we release a new sermon. Don't forget to check out our other awesome content like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, go ahead and download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We'll see you next time.